So what is irony in writing? How can it be used to create emphasis and drama in a story? Today we'll look at what is meant by irony as a literary technique on a Writer's Day podcast. Hello and welcome to a Writer's Day podcast. My name is Ruth Douthit and I am an award-winning author of books for middle grade readers and the current president of Christian Writers of the West, the local Arizona chapter of ACFW, American Christian Fiction Writers. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about irony and what it means and how to use it as a literary technique to add emphasis in your storytelling. First, in writing, you can create drama and emphasis by using irony in your story. And so in this episode, we're going to look at two excellent examples of irony in screenwriting. But Ruth, you might say, those are films. Why not discuss irony in books? And I understand that question. I really do. But what are films at first? They're screenplays. Screenplays are concise writing used to tell a story. So let's take a look at a couple of films that use irony in an excellent way. What is irony? Well, in its broadest sense, it's a rhetorical device or a literary technique. And it's when what appears on the surface to be a certain case differs radically from what is actually the case. And there's typically three types of irony. There's verbal irony, dramatic irony, and situational irony. You can use all three of them in your stories. So first, let's take a look at the Academy Award-winning movie called Places in the Heart, starring Sally Field. This film is set in 1935, Texas, and this film uses irony in many ways. Now remember, this story takes place during the Jim Crow era, and the white supremacy here represents, I feel, the hatred in men's hearts. The black folks that we'll see in the movie are descendants from slaves, and they represent what results from the hatred in men's hearts. Now, the inciting incident in this movie is when the local sheriff, a kind white family man who leads his family in prayer before supper, is accidentally shot and killed by a local teenage boy who happens to be black. The teen boy is drunk and waving around a loaded revolver, aimlessly shooting into the air when he inadvertently shoots the sheriff. Immediately, You, the viewer, realize what he has done. The teen realizes what he has done. And then you see on his face that he also realizes what will result in what he has done. Because this is the Jim Crow era. The local white men take the teen, torture and kill him before hanging him in a tree as a warning to other blacks in the town. The next thing we see is how the story now focuses on the white widow left behind after her husband is shot and killed. 
we learn that her survival now depends on the help of a black man who wanders into town. But we also see how he too needs the white woman's help in order to survive. And there's our irony. Typically in films, it would be the white sheriff who has killed a local black boy, but here we have it the other way around. And now we have a white woman and a black man coming together to help each other survive. To me, I believe the white widow played by Sally Field represents the change in people's hearts that is to come. By working together to plant cotton and harvest the cotton, the two characters mend and begin to see each other in a new light. As a result, they survive. Now, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this film, you might want to skip over this part as I will discuss what happens at the end. So skip over. Okay, so if you're continuing, it's because you've seen the, the story and the movie and how it ends. Now, because this story centers on the condition of the heart, because it's called Places in the Heart, uh, we begin to see the life lesson or theme the writers have for the viewers. The local white men haven't experienced this change in the hearts, so they cannot allow this black man to survive. They beat and threaten him, and as a result, the black man must leave town. But he is forever changed, because he witnessed that some white people are kind and generous and fair and open to change. Yet, some are not. He also saw how some of his own people, the black folks who helped him in the cotton fields, remain the same too. One can see how this movie is called Places in the Heart because it's all about what goes on inside one's heart. Now in the end, the viewer is given a glimpse into what heaven must be like. The townsfolk are all in church, passing around the communion sacraments, probably like they do every Sunday. And we see the white widow next to the black man who helped her, and he's next to someone else. And then finally we see the black teen boy handing the sacraments to the white sheriff. Everyone, sinners all, are together at the end. And it really is a poignant scene that makes you stop and think. It's a beautiful use of irony to tell a story. So if you get a chance, see the movie. If you have seen it already, watch it again, looking for the irony. Now next, let's discuss the irony in the Hitchcock classic, Rear Window. Again, if you haven't seen this movie, you may want to skip over because I will discuss how the movie ends, so don't listen to the end of this part. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a big Hitchcock fan because of the way he tells stories in the most unique way. And in this most excellent movie, Hitchcock does a fantastic job of using irony for comedic and dramatic effect. He was the master storyteller. So first, let's look at the irony in his characters. James Stewart plays Jeff, a photojournalist who is usually out on assignment in the jungles of Africa or along the Amazon River, 
We see just by the photos hanging on the wall of his apartment that he is adventurous and a daredevil willing to risk it all to get the perfect shot. But now we see that he's stuck in a wheelchair because of a broken leg that he suffered when he risked it all to get that perfect shot. In his frustration and his anger, he's now stuck in this wheelchair. Grace Kelly plays his girlfriend. She's beautiful and a fashion icon. And I'm serious, the clothes that she wears in this movie are absolutely gorgeous. She's a fashion icon who considers shopping during a sale in downtown New York to be the only adventure worth taking. She's happy to be safe and sound in New York City with her usual routine of hobnobbing with magazine editors and photo- photographers and discussing the next uh, issue of the most popular fashion magazines. Yet in this story, believe it or not, it is she who will become adventurous and take risks in order to solve a heinous crime. Now talk about irony. Next comes the setting of this movie, this story. Hitchcock does an amazing job of creating dramatic effect with the irony of the setting he chose for this murder mystery. It's set in an apartment courtyard, bustling with constant activity, and he also set the story in summertime, where the heat and humidity are almost characters in their own right. And because this is before air conditioning was in every building, apartment dwellers are forced to have their windows open all day and night. So you can see how a bustling courtyard with all the rear windows open facing each other is not necessarily the perfect place for a heinous murder to take place, right? With all the apartment rear windows facing each other and open at all hours, it is a wonder that the murderer would decide to kill in this setting. And yet, that's exactly what happens. Now let's take a look at the killer. Typically in movies, the killer is some sort of sleuth, somebody creepy and spooky looking that we fear. But Alfred Hitchcock doesn't present a killer this way. No, in this movie, he presents the killer as an older, overweight jewelry salesman who waits on his invalid wife day and night. He seems to be a quiet older man who gently takes care of his ailing wife by bringing her meals in bed. But to throw more irony into the picture, this chubby older man, jewelry salesman, kills his ailing wife and dismembers her body in the apartment with the windows open facing everybody. But what I love the most is how the murder happens. And the only man who hears the victim scream is the man stuck in a wheelchair, unable to do anything about it. Lastly, how is this horrible crime solved? By the veteran detective? No. The crime is solved by the photojournalist stuck in a wheelchair, unable to do anything about it, and his fashion icon girlfriend, 
who suddenly reveals her adventurous side and risks everything to catch the murderer. So we see that she has become like the photojournalist used to be, and he is now stuck, safe and sound, like his girlfriend. It's really brilliant writing if you stop and think about it. But Hitchcock doesn't stop there. And when it comes to writing our stories, neither should we, because he also develops irony with the minor characters in the story. So one of the minor characters is a lovely young dancer, and she lives across the way from Jimmy Stewart's apartment, and he watches her as she practices her dance moves in the window. And we also see that she has a couple of parties and she's hounded by handsome men who desire her for her beauty and dancer's body, but she resists them. They're tall, dark, and handsome, successful men, so it's odd that she would resist. But if you notice in her apartment, there's a photo of someone that we learn later on is her boyfriend only after he returns home from being overseas. Is he tall and handsome? Like those other men she's been brushing aside? No. In fact, he's short, chubby, and he's a soldier who returns home. So she's been waiting for him all this time. There's more irony. Another minor character that we see throughout the film is Miss Lonely Heart, as Jimmy Stewart's character calls her. She's also across the way, and he watches her. She's sad and lonely and desperate for the love of a man. So desperate, in fact, that she sets her dining room table and prepares a fake meal and hosts a imaginary man for dinner. When she realizes how pathetic that is, she breaks down crying. It's obvious she's older and has been alone for a long, long time. And in her final act of desperation, we see that she sets out some pills to use to end her life. And right before she takes the pills, all of a sudden, something stops her. And it isn't a man, a knight in shining armor. No, it's a love song that's being played from the apartment across the courtyard. The music stops her and makes her want to live again. Now the song is being played and sung by a man who composed it. And he's in one of the larger apartments and he has a very active social life and many friends, and this is evidenced by the well-attended parties that he throws. So the song that he wrote tugs at the heart of the loneliest woman with nobody in her life. Now that's irony. And yet we see that this man, it seems, has an active social life, and so he wouldn't be lonely, but really, to write such a beautiful love song, we find that Yeah, he sort of is lonely. I could go on and on about the irony in this movie. I really could. It's everywhere. And it's truly a classic when it comes to storytelling. I highly recommend it. Watch both films if you love excellent stories. Especially looking for the irony and how to use it to enhance your story. And again, don't stop with your major characters. Think about ways that you can use irony for the stories of your minor characters as well. What are some of the things in your story that seem to be one way, but really aren't? How can you use the setting 
of your story to also create irony, just as Hitchcock did. And be aware of all the different things in your story that you can use to enhance and emphasize certain dramatic aspects. And you can even use irony for comedic effect too. Hitchcock is a master at that as well. Now think of your own story. Have you already used irony? I try to from time to time when I'm storytelling. It's not easy, but it can be done. I hope that you've enjoyed this brief episode about how to use irony in your stories. It can be an excellent way, a literary technique to create drama and emphasis. But above all, keep writing, keep going forward in your writing journey. Watching different movies, looking for ways to enhance your own storytelling, reading books to find ways to be more creative in your own writing. That's what it's all about. Always moving forward, learning more, and trying more, taking those risks. Thanks for joining me today on a Writer's Day podcast. Next time, we'll look at more literary techniques. God bless.